Hello, my name is Sarah and I am your Chakra Coach. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how the chakra system can guide you to grow your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, leading you closer to your highest self. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you for being here and thank you for listening. I hope you're well. I have been doing more uh, full chakra readings lately, which is great. And it's given me a chance to connect face-to-face with more of you than usual. And I love that. What I've been hearing, though, is that there's a lot of stress out there that things aren't going as well in your spiritual journey as you might like. I spoke to one listener who has been enjoying this series on the yamas and niyamas, but feels overwhelmed with all the things that she isn't doing. Like, she wants to follow every single one of them perfectly and feels like she's not succeeding. Now, we talked through some of that, but I'm thinking that if one person is feeling like that, then there are probably more people who are. So... What I want to be sure I say is this. These are not intended to be a one-and-done type set of guidelines. We don't check them off the list. And the energy that we put into each one, each one of these yamas and niyamas, is going to ebb and flow, just like the energy through our chakras. At some points in your life, you'll be focused more on one than another, and that's fine. These are a lifelong exploration and no one is expected to be perfect or even attempt to be perfect. In fact, I I don't think that <laughs> I don't even think that perfect is a word that we can use with this kind of thing. It just it just doesn't work like that. So, if you're stressing out about if you're you're doing things right, try this week to take a deep breath and let go of that expectation. There, there literally isn't a right or wrong to the yamas and niyamas. There's effort, effort, sure, but that's not the same. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I wasn't clear throughout the series, but please know that you are doing just fine. And I know that because you're listening to this right now, which tells me that you want to keep moving on the path to your highest self. Just know that the path is not not ever going to be a straight line for anyone. There are going to be twists and turns and unexpected things, some joyful, some less than joyful, but they are all part of your unique path. So wherever you are, you're doing it right. And if you want to know more about the chakra readings, you can visit my website, yourchakracoach.com. But that said, it's on to the fourth niyama, the fourth guideline for internal work that carries us farther down that unique path. Now, (laughs) now listen, I know I said last week that tapas was my favorite niyama, but maybe it's actually this week's niyama. Maybe I just, (laughs) maybe I just really like all the discomfort and opportunities that the niyamas provide. I don't know. In any event, I really do appreciate the fourth niyama, which is svadhyaya. The translation of this one is 
pretty straightforward. It's self-study. The process of examining ourselves, our nature, our beliefs, our thoughts, our actions, our emotions, what makes us, us. I think most people who are consciously embarking on a spiritual journey enjoy a little self-study. They enjoy self-reflection. I know I do. I just love to think on stuff, grand philosophical stuff about myself and my place in the universe. How can I make myself better? And, and this all sounds great until I get into a little more reflection on that. Why do I need to be better? Why am I not content the way I am? And if I'm truly practicing the Niyamas, especially Santosha from episode 97, shouldn't I be focusing on acting from a centered, grounded place of peace? And there's the thing about self-study. For some of us, it's going to get us all up in our heads. Maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of us, self-study creates anxiety. The worry that we're not doing it right. It's literally the number one question I get. How do I know if I'm doing it right? And what I really want to talk about today is how to engage in self-study without losing ourselves in it. One of the most interesting things about self-study to me is that we always start with thinking. We always start with our brains, and that makes total sense. If you study in school, you put knowledge in your brain, and then you give that knowledge back to the teacher or the professor when they ask for it back. Very, very brain heavy. I mean, no one really, un- no one really cared if you understood history in your body. I mean, what would that, what would that mean even? But self-study in this Ashtanga yoga tradition is about so much more than just looking at yourself intellectually. But since that's where we start naturally a lot of the time, let's talk about it first. Intellectual self-study can be the practice of really exploring our thoughts. And you know I love encouraging us to do this. So much good information can be found there. So much value in knowing ourselves, right? Know thyself. It's maybe one of the oldest adages we've ever heard. And, and that's because it's great we start to cultivate something that uh, is called in a lot of the Eastern traditions, the witness. We cultivate the witness with self-study through knowing ourselves. It's not the I part of us. I am doing this. I am thinking that. That's ego. Not ego in a a bad way. We'll, We'll probably need to have a talk someday about the concepts of ego and the very misunderstood idea of ego death, but I digress. Ego, in the way that allows us to interact with ourselves and others and our environment on the physical plane. The witness is a step beyond that. The witness is the part of you that sees I doing things. I am doing something. The witness is watching I do it. Maybe the closest thing we have in the Western cultures is the soul. I don't, I don't know that it matters how you think about it. For me, though, since the Ashtanga yoga tradition comes from India, I find a lot of the traditional teachings there to be really helpful when wrapping my brain around this. So the witness is a step removed from the ego and maybe this is what you think of when you think of your highest self. 
the, the witness is that spark of the divine in each of us that connects us to the universe. The witness is the chance to find our true identity away from cultural expectations, expectations we put on ourselves, and anything else that starts to get in our way on the path to freedom. The witness, our highest self, allows us to start to see reality. And I've talked about this before, but I really think it's worth discussing again. We don't see reality, at least not clearly. We see the world through the lenses of our experiences, through who we are, how we were born, and the experiences that shaped us. I mean, experiences literally change our brains, how the parts connect, where the pathways develop, even how much brain tissue grows where. This is measurable and factual and requires no leap of faith, which means that every single one of us has a brain that's put together slightly differently, which is beautiful because that's how we get to have so many interesting and different people in the world, but also means that not one of us sees the world the same as another. Now, how you see the world is based on a lot of characteristics, race, sex, gender, socioeconomic status, where you were born, who you were born to, who you were raised by, who your teachers were, your perceived safety as a child, your inborn temperament. I mean, so many factors that are intertwined and complicated, and they each come with their own set of lenses that change your perception of life. None of it needs to be labeled as good or bad or be bragged about or even defended. Some of it, it just is. And one of the greatest gifts we have as humans is to use our imagination to understand what life through another person's lenses might look like. We won't understand it maybe in a deep, profound way, but we can be open to it and I suggest that understanding that we don't truly see reality is the first big step of intellectual self-study because that's when we start to see where our blind spots are. That's when we start to notice gaps in what we know and maybe even start to know where to go for those answers. I ask people all the time in coaching sessions, is that true? And the, the variety of answers is amazing. Some people just stare at me as if they've never thought about that before. Because maybe they haven't. And then they realize that they don't know if their thoughts about themselves are true. Or their thoughts about other people or events. And side note, if we really thought about whether our thoughts about other people are true, I think we could avoid a lot of the problems that are plaguing our own relationships, but also plaguing the state of the world. Now, some people tell me, yes, that's true. And then if I follow up with, how do you know? We get to the same place. And maybe the thought is true, but self-study asks us, Svadhyaya asks us to really examine truth from that place beyond our ego, that place where the witness or soul or highest self can share a broader perspective that our small worlds haven't even considered. 
a great way to do this is journaling, coaching, meditation, any mental exercise that encourages examination of your brain. Now, I know it's odd to use the brain to study the brain, especially to use our own brain to study our own brain, but that's what we got. So we do it. Although, have you ever known someone who just absolutely rejected self-reflection? I've known several. And while I can sort of see the appeal of never questioning myself or my beliefs or worse, or to me anyway, never questioning the beliefs that were given to me by someone else, I don't personally believe that will ever lead to true happiness, true oneness. Because there will always be a curtain between those who reject self-study and the truth of reality or of the universe. And that's, that's why I love Svadhyaya, because it helps me tear down that curtain. And sometimes I just see a new curtain, but, but every so often there will be a moment when you get clarity so intense that it seems otherworldly. But we don't, we don't usually get there without some openness to self-study, whatever form it takes. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So if that's mental self-study, there's also physical and emotional self-study. Now I'm putting these together because I want to think of studying the emotions as they live in our bodies, not in our brains. I'm reading this very interesting and very complicated book that I definitely do not understand called Who Am I? And the author talks about all emotions of our true nature come from the heart. All other emotions, the ones that separate us from each other and from God, divine consciousness, come from our brains. I thoughts are in our heads, but real thoughts are in our hearts. The author posits that the goal is to eventually stop thinking in our brains and only think with our hearts. Or at least that is what I am taking away so far. So if you understand this better, please, please message me um, at your chakra coach on Instagram or Facebook and explain it to me. The, the idea, though, is that we spend more time connected to the divine in us and live and act from that place more time than from our brain thinking, which is clouded by all those lenses we talked about earlier. 
Emotions and our bodies are interesting. You, you might have heard me or someone else say before that emotions are a vibration in our bodies. We notice and name them with our brains, and that's really helpful in understanding them. But so many of us are so disconnected from our bodies that we don't even really know what's happening in them physically or emotionally. The second we feel discomfort, we pull away from it. And that might mean overthinking it, pulling the sensations up into our brain where we can mull them over forever, giving us anxiety. Or it might mean forcing the sensation to change into something more comfortable. If we're feeling angry and our life story is that anger isn't appropriate for women, we get very adept at shifting those sensations into something we do think is appropriate, maybe uh, crying or sadness. I've seen the opposite happen too. Sadness has changed to anger because it feels better in the body. And by better, I, I just mean more familiar, not that we love feeling that discomfort, but at least it's a known discomfort. In this case, self-study is the opportunity to explore every emotion in our bodies. It's what we mean when we say, feel our feelings, rather than ignoring them or pushing them away or eating or drinking them away. It's sitting with that big, uncomfortable feeling. You don't have to feed it or anything. You can just notice it. I find it helpful, especially at the beginning of this process, to put some words to it, which I know is brain stuff, but it is, it's a process, so use all the tools, you know? The other interesting way to feel emotions in your body is through movement. Emotions can be stored in your tissues, and sometimes they get stored away and then forgotten about. It isn't that they're gone, they're just sitting in a box in the corner collecting dust and growing mold. Worst case scenario, that mold starts to make you sick. And then you have mold to clean up and a big box of emotions to unpack, which honestly is pretty common, especially with trauma or with children. If we don't have the tools to take care of the emotions at the time, we, we might not be able to do anything else. But when we eventually decide to engage in the fourth niyama, we have to get a little dirty. And... This can definitely be done intellectually, and that's really, really helpful. But another tool you can use is movement. I think a yoga asana practice is incredible for this. Moving your spine and your body in so many directions and then connecting your breath to that movement or connecting your breath to stillness. If there's something there, a regular practice will absolutely shake it loose. I just had one of my clients who took up yoga say to me, I always cry in yoga class. I don't know why. And I'm like, I know why. You're opening up a lot of parts of you that were closed for decades. But we're strong. And we don't have to hide parts of ourselves from ourselves. We can use Svadhyaya to understand what's happening in us and to us and around us. To know why we do what we do and where it comes from. Our emotional state is worth studying because it is totally within our realm of control, but not without a little understanding. 
how we feel about something or someone or an event or whatever it is, is a direct reflection of how we see it. Just like the way someone else behaves is a direct reflection of how they see the world. If, through self-study, self-observation, and the cultivation of the witness, we can start to understand that our understanding of the world is not the only understanding available, we have so many more options in how to respond. We always believe that any neutral party to our circumstances would take our side in an argument or situation because they would be able to see what we see so clearly. And maybe that's true sometimes and not other times. It doesn't really matter because what we're looking to do as a community of people looking to grow is to understand ourselves, to be compassionate to others and be compassionate to ourselves and continue our work toward greater consciousness. At least that's how I see it. And I think self-study is a really powerful tool to help that happen. Knowing that self-study isn't all about books or philosophy or always so much thinking as much as we glamorize intellectualism. Self-study has so many more layers than that. And it seems to me that all the layers are leading us to our core, the spiritual parts of us, parts of us that don't need to separate us from them. I suppose at a certain point, self-study would start to seem silly because self wouldn't exist exactly because we'd be aware of how inextricably connected we are to everyone else. So there isn't an everyone else, only us, only one. But pondering that always sends me down a rabbit hole trying to understand how that would work. And I'm not sure that I need to do that. Self-study. All, all the yamas and niyamas give us the tools to uncover our divine nature. Again, whatever that means in your life. So this week, maybe there's some self-study in your future. If thinking comes easily to you, consider doing some emotional self-study. If you're very sensitive, maybe look at your thoughts. It's a good way to try some work that you might not have done before. Now, of course, you can try anything you like and then self-study to see what's working. I know for me, I need to recommit to my asana practice. I've gotten away from it as other physical demands on my body have come up and I'm not getting in the physical and therefore emotional self-study that yoga gives me. So what can you do? Meditate? Journal? Talk to a therapist? How can you start to expand your practice of svadhyaya? Because there will always be another fascinating layer to reveal when we have the courage and strength to look at ourselves honestly and deeply. All right, y'all. That's it for episode 99. 99, wild. Uh, Remember to find me on Instagram and Facebook at Your Chakra Coach. I know I'm not the greatest at posting, but I do love to get your messages and I love talking with you directly one-on-one. Let me know if you need anything, and I look forward to meeting you right here again next week. Bye!